this was really this became popular in sixth grade. Uh, wearing cologne. Um, sure. So like Axe body spray. So or it was just like this cologne cologne. No, no, no. Like you know, like someone would break into their dad's closet the and, and bust out the like. <laughs> Get the old spice. <laughs> And yeah. just douse themselves with it and, and walk into class. So the teacher banned cologne. So it was it was illegal to, to have cologne in our class. So I go to the mall with my mom like the next day after they banned cologne. And I'm sitting there and waiting for my parents or my sister and my mom to like do whatever. And I'm like by the kiosk where all the cologne is. Right. And I'm like looking at all the like colognes and I'm like, and then I see this guy hand a sample to this other dude, like, here, ch- check it out. And it's these little tiny vials of cologne. Right. And I'm like, that's amazing. You get your own little travel size cologne. I could, I could drug deal cologne all over the school. So I keep asking the guy for samples. He gives me about 50 of these cologne samples. And I start passing them out in the morning at school the next day, like I was dealing crack on the corner. <laughs> and by lunchtime, the teacher's like, everyone can go out to lunch, but Nate, you need to stick around and stay here. And I had that feeling in my gut, like, oh no. So she calls me over to her to her desk, and I'm sitting there, and she opens up her hand, and she's got all the samples in her hand, and she said, "Everybody, turn you in." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this week we're talking about whistleblowing, and uh, I got I got the whistle blown on me big time. Yeah. And uh, since then, I've always been sort of afraid to do anything wrong. Really. Uh, I've never been afraid. I'm o- I've always been an outlaw, man. You've always been doing things wrong. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Canadian I, I, spirit. Yeah, I don't know if it's Canadian. It's just uh, me. I, I just don't play along. I just don't play. Lo- I don't play well with with others. So if I if I generally I have the whistleblower spirit in me. I think uh, I got kicked out of Sunday school many times for saying what I thought and uh, <laughs> growing up. And I don't. I personality you yeah personality it's like your facebook page today man just getting kicked off facebook for what you're saying no one can kick me off facebook which is why i keep at it there you go it's all right though we need a little bit of that and on both ends of the spectrum but welcome to don't feed the trolls where we dispute without pressing mute oh we're gonna talk about stuff because we're living in free society right do we i don't know do we do we live in a free society we'll chat about that but first we want to thank um people who of their own free will, have given to us on Patreon.com, pledged a monthly support. Dan Taylor, welcome aboard. Ricky Kuntemeyer, I don't know if I said that right, welcome aboard. And Steve Burse, thank you guys for your uh, pledging your support on Patreon.com slash Don't Feed the Trolls. And I hope you enjoy the free episodes. Free episodes. All of our episodes are free, and that's why we need a Patreon to help cover the costs of hosting and our time to make this podcast thank you everyone who uh, have pledged your support i think we're at 69 patrons so far which is an incredible number i think yeah it's, it's amazing 100 by 100 maybe 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 we could do 100 patrons by the time we hit our 100th episode do you think that's possible that'd be 31 more i think the shows are getting better and the, and we have tons of guests lined up and uh, we're cranking out more material and every time a patreon pops into our email it's just like a little burst of encouragement. Like, it is Keep going, yeah. People want this stuff, you know. When I get the notification, I do, I do feel, I do feel, oh wow, someone listened to something, enjoyed it enough, went all the way over to our our Patreon page, and pledged their support to us on a monthly basis. And we really, really appreciate all of you. So thank you so much. Patreon.com/slash Don't Feed the Trolls. Back to our topic at hand. I think that that movie, uh, Enemy of the State, um, remember that movie? That was like the first time I actually thought about any of this. Um, right. So I guess that's good. Right. The Patriot Act is like is named Patriot Act, but it's like to be a patriot, you give up your your right to to privacy. <laughs> exactly. And the Dark Act is like give up your right to know what's in your food. It's like I, I, they, they, they name these acts or these these laws or whatever, like the worst titles. Yeah. But I guess Patriot Act is good because it's making you think, oh, yeah, I'm being patriotic. I'm giving up all my rights. Right, for, right. For what? Uh, <laughs> um, I guess uh, we're being tricked sort of maybe to think that we're helping Uncle Sam in this whole process. Right. I guess we can throw out a few little facts here before we bring on our guest, which is a buddy from college who's way into this subject. Uh, but who is the famous first whistleblower, Matt? Do you know who he is? In history? Do not trust the horse, Trojans, whatever it is. I fear the Greeks bearing gifts. 
Lao Kun. The Trojan horse, man. Yeah. 1188 BC, a guy named Lao Kun tells, uh, tells the Trojans to not trust the horse. <laughs> and, of course, they did. They let, uh, they let the gift in, which um, became their, their fall. You're saying that guy's the first whistleblower? He tried to trip off a- ancient Troy that the Greeks and their gift horse was a trick. And yep. um, he was later murdered. He was murdered? Apparently. So I guess, you know, like there's a psychological trauma for anybody who's a whistleblower. When they call out, the, the tendency is to crucify that person. Right. I mean, that's like if you look at Judaism and Christianity, the Torah or the Old Testament, all the prophets were like stoned to death death or killed based on speaking out against the establishment or the, the, the priestly religious tradition. So they would sit outside the city gates and rail against the establishment, and then they would be killed. And then later, people would read their writings and be like, whoa, they were actually, you know, they were, they were, their critique was correct. <laughs> Which is kind of like hindsight is twenty twenty, uh, but the whistleblowers are often martyred yeah, yeah. So um, for their progressive, you know, ideologies. Yeah, and there's this whole article about how these these guys go the rest of their lives. They're sort of like they're like the Cubs fan that reached over the wall and grabbed the ball right before the World Series and screwed right. it for the Cubs, and right. he was banished from Chicago. He they, they go through this like the rest of their life sucks. I mean, that guy still gets booed to this day because of a baseball. Right. Um, and this is much more serious. You know, you're calling out governments and countries and 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 big institutions yeah but anyway i've got a friend i got a buddy we met in college he's always on facebook and always on twitter talking about these things and i thought you know what let's have a conversation about it because i don't know a ton about this topic myself i have a lot of passion right for freedom so let's get him on the show and ask him some questions how about that Welcome, Michael. Uh, how do you how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, it's pronounced Cousineau. Cousineau, or at least that's how I pronounce it. I don't know. It's French. Is that why Dan gave you the nickname Cornelius? <laughs> Actually, uh, Billy gave me the nickname Cornelius, and I wasn't even. Oh, I thought it was Dan. Uh, no, it was originally Billy, uh, our mutual friend, um, and, who now has like what, like five kids, and he's a professor of philosophy. Wow. It's crazy. On the last episode, we talked about the Renomes, and he played bass in the Renomes, our first That band. is true. So, that is a true. Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. Well, let's jump right into it. Uh, uh, Michael, you yeah. might have a little bit more um, insight into this topic. We're talking about whistleblowers, why they do it, and um, and what what a, what is a free society, and, and, and how does that relate to um, us? And I guess, in your opinion... Do we currently live in a free society? Oh, that's a tough one. Because um, cause it really, it's matters of degree for me. I mean, I don't think that it's, it's really hard to put like an on off yes or no to that question. Um, certainly, we're a lot more free than North Korea, for example. And we're maybe less free than other times that we've been in U.S. history. Do you think that's because of the Internet and surveillance that way? Yeah, yeah, I think that is part of it. The other part is that since we've been around so long, there's been a lot of court cases. That sometimes court cases, Supreme Court cases especially, open up even more freedom for us. Right. But in some ways, they close down freedom for us. So every every single one of the Ten Amendments has the first Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights, and and all the all the other amendments. Um, maybe not all of them, but anyway, the Big Ten. <clears throat> have come before the Supreme Court and they've cut out various exceptions to them from time to time. Hmm. So in some ways hmm. they've really expanded it. So like uh, what we have with the First Amendment is way more free. Probably the Founding Fathers would think we were crazy for what we let people say and get away with without any kind of criminal penalty. They had a pretty tight interpretation is what you're saying, the Founding Fathers, of uh, free speech and and we've kind of lo- we've kind of broadened that over time at least that's my best guess i mean right. some of the stuff it's like um you can't really say for sure because you know it just didn't come up way back in the early you know the early 1800s late 1700s right um but my best guess knowing what i know about those guys 
you know, especially people like um, John Adams just wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, wanted people to get away with the kind of stuff that we let people get away with and call it free expression protected under the right. First Amendment. So I actually think that's a good thing that we've opened up a lot of that. Um, however, we've curtailed things about especially the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment that I don't think that they would agree with. We can take and modify and restrict your gun ownership in these various ways that they probably wouldn't have agreed with. They probably would have thought that was against the original intent of the Second Amendment. And then likewise, Hmm. the Fourth Amendment, which is what probably we're going to be talking about a bit today, is that they, they wouldn't have agreed with the ways that especially in secret, <laughs> these amendments have been um, interpreted, or the Fourth Amendment especially has been interpreted. What is the Fourth Amendment? Yeah, so the Fourth Amendment uh, says that the <laughs> government can't do unreasonable searches and seizures of people's property. And the key term being unreasonable, yeah. which would be up to interpretation. Possibly, but I mean, there's some very specific things that they had in mind, um, and it has to do with um, warrants, especially. So, um, one of the things that the fourth amendment lays out is that in, if order for the government or agents of the government to be able to grab stuff that belongs to private citizens, um, they should have a warrant of some kind. It's a little bit confusing in the wording, whether you always have to have a warrant or just that if you have a warrant or if you need a warrant, then this is what the requirements of a warrant when did are. the fourth amendment come around or what 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 era of, of history is this i don't even so remember, know when yeah this so <laughs> yeah we're talking the late 1700s um before okay. before the turn to the 1800s um there was a whole lot of actually arguing back and forth about whether people should even approve the constitution in the first place before the constitution was written we had another system of government card the articles of confederation just after the revolutionary war we kicked out the British, we had independence, they set up this Articles of Confederation, there was a bunch of problems, and they kind of secretly and maybe illegally decided, we're going to form a whole new constitution. <laughs> and um, and yeah. then... So most Americans think we just magically, you know, our forefathers magically gathered together and through divine providence created this incredible document that is, you know, living on through, you know, centuries. But in reality, it was a lot more muddy, right? There was a there was a document before that that had a lot of controversy, right? And and the actual what you're saying is the actual uh, constitution was drafted in so, sort of subversive. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, they did not have the authority to do what they were doing, um, <laughs> and uh, so they did it anyway. Um, and actually, some of the people that originally showed up to the meeting uh, left disgusted like they were just appalled um and so the the people that remained i mean it took them a while they took all summer um in the like muggy gross humid conditions of philadelphia no ac yeah no ac no ac AC at all not even swamp coolers (laughs) yeah it wouldn't have helped in philadelphia in the summer anyway giant flies um you know uh so (laughs) It was, by the way, the same place that the Declaration was of Independence was written. They met in the very same place, and they did that kind of. I mean, if you purpose. could even Im- if you could even imagine what that was like. I mean, just imagine trying to organize just a small outing with some friends. Like, hey, we're going to go camping. Let's try to figure this out. And it's always chaos. I couldn't even imagine a group of men <laughs> arguing this stuff. In that way, though, Michael, there's historical precedent for the government um, acting in secrecy to create something beneficial for the people. So, yeah, you could talk about how, yeah, it's kind of sort of authorized and that's kind of sort of what they wanted to have done. But in the end, no, they went they went way beyond what uh, people thought they were actually doing um, and they kept it under wraps until they were done. Um, and, and, and then right. And then after there was a big controversy, actually. I mean, it was it was not absolutely obvious to everybody that this was the greatest thing in the world. Uh, we right. tend to think back on the Constitution and think, well, this is obviously, right? It was like Moses came down from Mount Sinai holding the Ten Commandments in one hand and the U.S. Constitution <laughs> yeah. in the other. Right. That's how it happened. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the previous episode that we did on history, and uh, we kind of talk about how history sort of gets a different interpretation every generation. And so 
it just seems natural that yeah, not that's how we feel about it now. We feel like it was Moses's Ten Commandments, and you know, and almost it be, it becomes more it becomes more accurate with time. Hindsight being twenty twenty, like um, because we get all the perspectives of the previous generations' perspectives on that event, and we get all the retelling, right. and then it almost becomes yeah. more and more. You can kind of see it in perspective, sure, uh, more and more with 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 time, and so you don't actually know what what actually occurred or or how it fully occurred until like a few hundred years has passed and then you go oh this is how it all unfolded. yeah people die and their yeah. like private letters and private journals finally become accessible um if their like right. wives and mistresses don't manage to burn them before they get out and stuff like that um, right <laughs> which occasionally happens like the wife is like i'm not letting anybody know about what he actually thought you know and all this yeah, secret yeah, girlfriends yeah. and all that I, kind of stuff <clears throat> i've i've read that a lot too just like um certain people died at the correct point in time because if they would have lived any longer their whole reputation would have been just thrown under the bus <laughs> so they were right but what got you into this whole subject because I know that that's why I brought you on because you were constantly talking about this stuff on social media and I thought you'd be an interesting person to talk to about all this. Oh, gosh. I was annoying back in the day. Yeah. Oh, man. I was so annoying. <laughs> Matt still is annoying on social media, but we let it, we let it <laughs> Yeah, man. Because... I think there's there. I think annoying people are valuable <laughs> if they're bringing something um, challenging to the table. If they're just annoying sure. and, you know, and not bringing anything chal- intellectually challenging, then forget it. But... Tell us why you why you're motivated or why you were motivated to. Uh, well, you still have the passion. I know the passion's still there. You just probably don't put it out on in public. Is probably the same. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, one thing is that I toned it down. I realized I was coming across a little too intense. I mean, it doesn't do anything for your message if um, people mute you or block you or you know defriend you. Um, sure. Right? If you if your goal is to get people to hear you, then <laughs> like as a practical matter, you have to think about what would be the most attractive way to put it out there. Spoon, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine. Exactly. So, and also, you know, say like a post a day instead of like 20 per minute, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) So you had conviction. What motivated your your conviction to post so much about this topic? I'm a big student of history. I, I loved, loved U.S. history when I first took it in high school. I got really, really into it. I probably was way into it before I even took it in high school. Since then, I've dug into a lot of things. I actually taught history not too long ago in a high school. I'm not doing that anymore at the moment. But um, really, really big into, is- into issues of history, how the Constitution came about, what its original purpose was, why it was there, why we have these different parts of it, including the Fourth Amendment. And I was pretty rock solid, I felt, on why it was there and what it was supposed to mean. And then I saw these different events happening in the news. Um, and one of the people that I followed before Edward Snowden even leaked to him was a guy named Glenn Greenwald, who's still out there, hmm. really big name in news. Uh, he has a website now. He and a bunch of other people have a website, but he's one of the big guys called, the website's called The Intercept. And you can find it, theintercept.com. And they're still putting out tons of great stuff, but I, I'm not as avid of a reader of him as I used to be. I used to like check my check his website maybe a couple times a day just to read everything he ever That was wrote. like music websites for Matt and I. We would check those music websites every day, right? Isn't that what we used to do? <laughs> At least I did. See if they wrote anything about me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I know the addiction right. to like one or two websites is what I'm saying. So keep going. Exactly. Yeah, I had a few. So that like one was like crooksandliars.com, which is like a left-wing news site that got really big by getting little video clips of things and uh, and showing how people were, were being ridiculous. Um, everybody does that now, but they were one of the, the first to kind of really do that. And then, yeah, the other one that I found was uh, Glenn Greenwald, and he used to be on salon.com, and then he moved over to The, um, to the Guardian. Um, and yeah, I followed everything he said, and I was like, wow, he, he was really big about pointing out the hypocrisy of different people, um, which always gets me and everybody else riled up, right? No, oh, this person said one thing, but they're doing this other thing. Terrible right. hypocrites, you know? Like So that really just got, got me hooked, got me into it. And he was really big on things like uh, the use of drones and um, extraditional killings via drones by the U.S. government yeah. and all these sort of foreign wow. countries um 
and uh, the way that the U.S. government would harass people like WikiLeaks. And this was, once again, before Snowden. And this is actually one of the big reasons why Snowden chose to leak his documents to Glenn Greenwald was because he was reading the same stuff I was at the time. Right. Yeah, so, you know, me and Snowden, we have great minds think alike and all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> How in your mind should the U.S. government handle whistleblowers like Snowden? You need to go back in time and look up any whistleblower in almost any corporation. There's actually a great movie with Russell Crowe called The Insider. And he's like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the movie's about this real-life guy who came out and talked about all what all the uh, tobacco companies were doing, um, how they would say one thing, and even though they really truly knew something else. Um, and huh. these people just get screwed. They just get totally screwed yeah. over. So um, even with protections, like um, right. even when there's legal protections for them, it just doesn't. It's not like a fun thing. Nobody really like make. They become martyrs of society. Yeah, yeah. They well, I really read the do. psychological this. The psychological blowback is so severe; it ruins almost all of their lives. Every single yeah. person, and they have a like. There's a whole list of them on like a Wikipedia documentary. Like all these people who've called out major companies and government agencies, and they just literally get thrown under the bus. And and uh, it's it's pretty terrible. We agree that in a free society, we need whistleblowers. We need people who are gonna who are gonna call out corruption. Um, how do you like what what ways can you write in protections what ways can you protect whistleblowers from the blowback or the psychological just demolition right that they experience right so you i mean one thing that you would want to do is to say you know this doesn't protect people who like steal stuff and then sell it to russia or steal right. steal stuff and sell it to the mob or something um it it's supposed yeah. to protect people who take stuff that officially they're not supposed to be taking but the purpose to is, is to inform either the wider government or the wider organization, if it's like a corporation or a business, or the public at large. And they're doing it because they're like, hey, these people have created this system of secrecy somehow where people don't know right. about this. And they're like, if only people knew, right? And so they say to themselves, people just have to know for one reason or another. And we love these kinds of movies. What is the, uh, what's the one where the lawyer lady goes after GE because they're dumping like mercury in the water or something? Oh, Aaron, right, right, Aaron right. Brockovich, right? Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, um, we love these crusading stories, but all through it, you all, you, we always find these people, like you said, they're martyrs. So what do we need? Well, we need some kind of way to protect them from the enough, you know, the inevitable blowback, like um, right. somehow make it so that kind of like they, witness protection or something. Yeah, maybe like a witness protection that would be called for in some cases, and we do have that when it comes to things like the mob. But I was thinking things that are just really basic, like they continue to receive the pay that they were entitled to, right? Or they're they they're not allowed. To, the companies are not allowed to fire them or right. um, or we yeah. provide like really nice avenues and easy avenues for them to sue. Right. If they're unveiling criminal activity, then that shouldn't be um, <laughs> that shouldn't be licensed for whoever they're working for, the criminals who they're working for to um damage or hurt their lives especially if it's criminal activity in regards to the general public right. the amount of courage it takes to come out and become a whistleblower is so great it's almost like you have to have a personal conviction greater than uh, the consequences and every one of these people know the consequences but they just can't live with themselves if they don't come out with it so there's probably not as many whistleblowers because if you think about it, you, if you know, okay, if I do this, I might die, you might not do it. You know, you might just go, I'm going to leave the job or I'm going to quit or I'm going to yeah. move on. I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah, the worst, thing like, that'll, the worst thing that'll happen to me if I cr critique whatever establishment on Facebook is that someone unfriends me. And that's – I'm okay. I can live with that. But some people on, the, on this global scale when it comes to governments, and they could be assassinated and they've – you know – there are attempts on people's lives. Oh, gosh, yeah. I was just reading one not too long ago. I think it was like a week or two ago. I was reading about this, uh, these two cops in Chicago. Um, and it's reporting done in conjunction with The Intercept, which is I, I referenced earlier. 
Glenn Greenwald's thing that he's done since Snowden. Um, and these two cops were in the Chicago Police Department for a very, very, very long time. And they got, um, they were noticing that there was this guy who was basically selling drugs. He was, he set himself up as a drug dealer, as a cop. <clears throat> and he had a team of like cops that worked with him and they would knock off the rival drug dealers. Um, and then, and then unless this is like whitey this is like whitey exactly and it was happening in (laughs) yeah and it was and these two and these two cops who were involved in you know blowing the whistle on him just got mercilessly uh just savagely like destroyed their their careers and even like because they turned on the blue even if the blue is corrupt you don't you don't you don't that's turn. right and that's and the the code of silence the thin blue line stuff and it's just i mean you hear that kind of stuff all the time um but this yeah. this was something that came out just recently um in this article and yeah it oh gosh the kind of stuff that they said was going on and and not to not just within not just the corruption within the chicago pd but also the fbi on top of that when they went to the FBI mm. to try and get it, uh, get it taken care of. And well, it's definitely true of the FBI, I think in the Whitey Bulger case. Right? Oh gosh. Yeah. They were terrible. Yeah. They, <laughs> they basically like, yeah, he totally gamed the system. So, I mean, that's one of the things about, um, that you might have to be careful about, even though I'm in favor of whistleblower protection. Right. So Whitey Bulger said that he was a informant, but he did that on purpose, knowing that if he was an informant, then they wouldn't touch him. So right. he basically used the informant protections as his get out of jail free card to go around still killing a bunch of people and operating in all kinds of these illegal manners. Um, right. So, yeah, you, you, you can't set up some kind of legal or even not even legal, some policy position, because this is not like an official law thing for the FBI. But you, whatever right. whatever protections you offer for whistleblowers, it can't be a license to continue committing criminal acts. Um, right. And that was definitely exploited. <laughs> once you come out, once you drop the documents or whatever, like in Snowden's situation, like once he comes out and says, this is what's going on, um, then he's sort of like, Hey, white flag, I surrender. I don't want to come back to America because I don't know what you guys are going to do to me, but clearly he's surrendered. Um, clearly yeah. he wants to be f- free of the burden, but he can't get free of the burden. You know yeah. I mean? So, okay. So you, you don't want to happen. So uh, just a, a little disclaimer, this did not happen. Okay. So I'm not saying this actually happened, even though people have accused Snowden of doing this, right? People have accused Snowden of selling the secrets that he had, um, or somehow handing them over or giving them to the Chinese, the Russians, Cubans, whoever, right? Enemies of the United right. States government. Um, but in fact, what he did is that he took all of the documents that he had and he encrypted them in such a way that um, he had access to them for a little while, but then he purposefully locked himself out of them after he handed over copies to the journalists that he met um, in Hong Kong. He no longer even had the stuff when he was flying away from Hong Kong, even though he's in Russia and people are like, well, if you really love the country, why are you hanging out with Putin and stuff like that? You know, um, he doesn't have those documents anymore. So, yeah, he has stuff that he's read in his mind and right in his memory and stuff that, you know, potentially they could torture him and try and extract information. And I understand that, but he actually didn't want to be in Russia. He was on his way to, uh, where was it, Peru or Ecuador? Or... He was trying to go back to South America, um, yeah. and it was really the fault of the U.S. government that he got stuck in Russia. Um, and mm. and he would actually, he what he says anyway, what he says is that he would love to come back to the United States if he thought that he could get a pardon or at least substantial guarantees of a fair trial but the u.s won't give him that. the u.s is not going to pardon him and or has not so far and when he leaked there were all kinds of like government really top government officials who were talking about how he should be killed and tortured
these national security guys, in their mind, the leaking of classified information is treason. And regardless of what the purpose is, it's treason. And so they, they only see it kind of black and white. But what you're saying is that the whistleblower in this case, Snowden, um, he didn't sell the information. He gave it to journalists. And it was in order to inform inform the American public of what was going on behind their backs. And so it was it was an honorable way of whistleblowing in, in your mind, right? That would be your opinion. Yeah, that, that is my opinion. And and I and I have to I mean, it's gotta be the case that there have to be some things that are just beyond the pale, even though technically it is treason or espionage to do what he did. Um if he's informing us about something that's really, really heinous, and he thought it was, I agree that it is, um, then it, it's not, that, that should be an exception, right? And, and that's actually kind of what pardons are for anyway, right? Is that things, things right. that people have been even technically convicted of, right? According to the yeah. law as written after the fact, the president can go and say, or the governor or whoever has the power of pardon to say, even though it was completely illegal, like, and it was fair that you were given this sentence, given what the law was in the grander scheme of things, when we consider morality and stuff, it wasn't fair. So here's your pardon. I think I didn't even think about that as a pardon. Um, it's almost like admitting when you put a pardon law in there that there's a problem, you know, like we're not going to get this right. There's going to be lots of issues, lots of gray areas. Because if you think about a presidential pardon, every single time presidents have pardoned people at the end of their uh you know at the end of their term i've seen so people go oh of course that jerk face got that guy out you know what i mean i'm like what what possess what possesses a president to let out a criminal if it if the guy didn't even you know have some sort of case or some sort of reason so what about and a lot of people sort of lump julian assange and wikileaks in with snowden as as um you know people who are trying to expose the government's uh, corruption or duality. Um, what are the differences in your mind between Julian Assange and Edward Snowden? Yeah, so they are linked. I mean, uh, we, uh, WikiLeaks actually sent a person to help Snowden, um, and they met up either in Hong I forget whether it was in Hong Kong or later in Russia. And so um, there was a relationship. So the fact that people have this link is not usually entirely accurate, but there is a link. Um, and and right. likewise, I said earlier, one of the reasons why Snowden went to Greenwald in the first place is that Greenwald was saying, hey, look, there's this new organization, WikiLeaks. It's getting totally crapped on by the U.S. government. Like, maybe we should pay attention to it because it looks like they're doing some good things and we should consider whether, you know, what they're doing is good or not. And, and right. So that was one of the reasons why Snowden showed up to Greenwald in the first place was through right. his discussion of what WikiLeaks was doing. And um, and also Snowden saw how other people who were whistleblowers, one of which was at the time a guy named Brendan Manning, he's, he's, uh, he's actually transgender now and goes by Chelsea Manning. But in any case, I'm not going to be trying to be super PC about it for the rest of, if I slip up, <laughs> if I slip up and, and people get mad at me, I just... Uh, whatever. I still think of him as Brendan Manning because that's who he was. You could say you could say Manning. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> look, people get stuck on weird things. It's it's not my it's not my deal to be like really into transgender rights, and I don't mean to be like dismissive, but I still think of him in the way he was when he first leaked as Brandon oh, yeah. Manning. Yeah. Um, and he got he he was almost certainly the source for a lot of the stuff that got really big play in the media from WikiLeaks. Um, regarding all the different crazy things that the U.S. government was doing in Iraq, as well as some other places around the world that, uh, because he leaked a bunch of diplomatic-related cables. So you had, like, cables from all over the place. And then that, in turn, led into, like, the Arab Spring. Like, some of the things that came out incited people in Arab countries to go out into the streets and protest their government. So it's all connected. It's hmm. this weird, weird thing. But in any case... Uh, WikiLeaks is a separate organization and does not necessarily believe the same things as Snowden does. I'd say it's pretty clear that they have a different stance on what should be brought out into the public and what should right. be like plastered over the internet. So WikiLeaks has a very, very expansive idea of what should be out 
in the open for everybody to see. Um, they're really right. anti-secrecy almost in general. Um, about all, Privacy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, their view is basically that no governments anywhere should have any kinds of secrets. I, I mean, that's maybe overstating it a little bit, but I feel like it's only a little bit. Um, so they're very punk rock in how they go about it, almost like sort of this anarchy. They're early hackers is what it is. Do you remember that movie Hacky, Hackers from the 80s? Yes. Information wants yeah, to be free, man. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's WikiLeaks right there. So you would say that Snowden Snowden might disagree with that and say yes there there needs to be secrets for national security purposes hmm. however not at the expense of the freedoms and rights of the general public. Yeah, well even more than that he actually thinks that governments themselves have certain freedoms and rights to keep certain things secret. Um, like he's concerned right. about like the identities and uh, what happens to like NSA and CIA and FBI agents out there, whereas it doesn't right. seem like WikiLeaks really cares all that much, right? Well, and there's been a lot of speculation with Julian Assange as far as his involvement in this uh, presidential election too, um, with how he's he's been releasing emails yeah. and potential connections to Russia. Um, how, what's your opinion on, on all that? Now, I, I don't actually have a strong opinion one way or another because it, I think in a lot of ways it doesn't really matter how they got the information, just that they have it um, and what they right. do with it. So uh, sure, maybe the Russian government was the ones that hacked the servers that had the emails about these democratic politician people, um, their emails. Maybe Maybe it was the Russians, but it... At the end of the day, in my mind, it doesn't really matter how they got the information, just that they did. Right. And then they have to decide what should they put out there. Uh, the WikiLeaks tends to dump everything, anything and everything. So if you get, if you give them like 15,000 documents, um, some of which may be really relevant to something going on, and some might just be, you know, some random Joe Schmoes. Yeah. Podesta's um, recipes for uh, results. Right, right. Something like that. <laughs> right. uh, or, or it could be just like you or me email Podesta and we're like trying to set up an eBay purchase or something, right? <laughs> right. I mean, at this point, what politician's even going to want to send an email or do anything electronically? Right. Well, this actually goes – it goes back it's, – it's a really weird kind of – it's almost like snake eating its tail thing. Okay, so <laughs> – Back in the day, um, and you, we still have this today, there's the Freedom of Information Act that was put out by the Congress. Okay, So this is the idea that um, we should be able to request documents from the government if we want to, right? If we want to see right. what um, Hillary Clinton was emailing Vladimir Putin about, maybe we should be able to, <laughs> right? Um, under certain restrictions, right? So if it's like matters of, it's right? all yeah, it's redacted. The whole thing's that's how you get these redacted documents where like the whole thing's blacked out. Probably did um, <laughs> under the Bush administration, especially the George George W. Bush, not the not the earlier Bush. Um, right. They intentionally to try and get around compliance with these laws to to do what Nate said, try to not have a paper trail. They all did private emails like Yahoo. Hmm. Gmail, AOL, whatever that was in vogue at the day. I don't even know if Gmail existed. Well, in any case, right. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they all did these private email things, very similar to what Hillary Clinton later did. Um, and the whole purpose was to make it harder for people like you and I to request the documents um, sure. uh, so that there is no paper trail. So that's why I said it's kind of yeah. like this snake eating his tail kind of thing is like we go and say there should be fewer secrets. So what you need to do is anything that you email on these official servers, right, the .gov servers, right, in your official capacity as a government agent, right, a, a, uh, an officer, an elected official, whatever, all of those things are like totally fine for anybody to see because it's our stuff. You're doing it in official capacity. And then they're like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't put it in there. We'll put it on over here, and then they won't know to look there, right? Hmm. <laughs> so even though our yeah. intention was to bring things to the light of day, it, in a way, 
like we're shining all this light on it and they're like, oh, we better move over to this other shadow, you know, like, um, <laughs> so, so yeah. it's, it's yeah. this game of cat and mouse with government officials. And it's kind of always going to be the case. If you think powerful people want to have their power, right. And they want to do things in secret. Yeah human nature, right? I mean, this is kind of some of the reasons why we have some of the things in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. Um, it's part of the reason why Julian Assange thinks the way that he does. He's of the big opinion that basically rich and powerful people should have very, very little secrecy. Their natural tendency is going to, right, is going to be to amass power and more of it for themselves. And I've, I've always felt that way. I, I think that's a big part of why guys pick up instruments and start bands like Fugazi and Refused, as they want, and and Rage Against the Machine. They want to speak out against this big, huge corporate establishment. And then the rallies of the masses get behind them and sing these anthems that are just like, you know, uh, anti-establishment and some people go well that's terrible that punk rock's gonna rot in your brain and it's like well they're <laughs> in reality they have a great message they're trying to give the power back to the people bob marley style you know and as musicians it's kind of what that's kind of what i can relate to you know well that's the point of yeah it's the point of art to critique culture or to follow culture in a way sure be a response to culture in a way Michael, I do have one question. What is your opinion on um, what seems to be, or at least from the way I follow it, a bias uh, in the way that Assange is releasing things or saying he's going to release documents uh, when it comes to uh, choosing our next uh, president? Um, it seems to be that he's in favor of, uh, of Donald Trump. And does that irk you in any way that someone outside of our country not not a citizen of our country would have an a vested interest in who was running our country and potentially manipulate uh data dumps to influence that this, I, I don't know if i can prove this um but i think if julian assange had something really juicy on trump he'd throw that out there too right like case in point julian assange is a megalomaniac narcissist himself right so he's the kind of person that does the very thing that he accuses other people to do. He's a massive hypocrite, right? So like he's trying himself to amass as much power and influence as he can do, get, right? Um, and in fact, people have quit his organization and actually sabotaged his organization um, or more, more directly sabotaged him, Julian Assange. Um, there have been people within his organization who have been like their own sort of whistleblowers against WikiLeaks. Wow. Um, it's meta. Oh, it is. It's crazy, wow, right? So really, this is <laughs> this is layers of layers in the dream. Yeah, you can go look these people up. They're mostly German, though, so I don't know if you're gonna get. Uh... Sometimes you gotta whistle blow the whistle. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so Julian Assange is known for being very yeah. paranoid and very secretive himself about himself and his dealings, and part of it is justified because he does really have these extremely powerful factions of like the most powerful right. people in the entire world coming after him. A lot of what you're saying to me sounds like where there's smoke, there's fire. Like where there is people calling out Hillary Clinton, we don't necessarily know 100% what happened, but we know that like, look, if you're on a private email, you're doing something private. And if there's all these accusations. Well, some of it seems, especially from especially from Assange, some of it seems like, you know, I've read the emails and it, it like, it doesn't seem like there's a there there. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't seem like there's... There's really much uh, bad stuff there. So it seems to me like it's a little bit, as far as Assange and WikiLeaks go, it's a little bit like, oh, I'm going to do this big October surprise. And then, you know, there there really is no surprise. Right. And so you go, what's the motive? It kind of feels like the narrative right now, though, is to kind of just like destroy the messenger. And therefore, the message is goes down with it. Because it's like, like I think you were saying earlier, Michael, it's like, look, if the if the information is good, it doesn't matter who brought it out and it doesn't matter where it came from. It just matters that what's the info. I think that's the problem is so many people on Facebook are arguing like, well, Assange is kind of crazy, so I don't know. And I'm but like, what I'm, but what, what I'm saying is yeah. if Assange is like, I'm going to torch Hillary's campaign with this information and then he drops something and it doesn't do that, then you go, well, number one, his motivation seems pretty biased one way. So I generally don't, yeah, I don't think it's, you know, and then number two, he doesn't deliver on the promise. 
So uh, to me, it's like, well, his credibility is tarnished. People almost trust more where the source is as opposed to the information. That's what I'm trying to say. What right. if those? What if the stuff he has dropped is good? What do you think about the stuff he's dropped? I think Nate's point here is that it doesn't seem like a lot of the journalists that are supposed to be covering these things are looking very hard. Right. Um, because they are concerned that if they look hard, then it'll make Clinton look bad. And they are the ones that are really in favor of Clinton against Trump. I don't know if I'm just a, an, an, apolo- an apologist for Hillary Clinton, but I feel like there's not a lot there. So uh, it, there's this weird dynamic that happens with with pieces of evidence. Okay, so like before Snowden leaked all this stuff, there were actually other guys um, and other news stories that had come out saying a lot of the same things that Snowden then later gave further evidence for. Um, Like there was this one guy who found this random room in this AT&T facility in San Francisco, for example, right? right? Uh, And he tried to blow the whistle on it. He's like, there's this weird room Right, this room 641A in this building at Folsom Street in San Francisco, and he says that they're doing something to spy on us in this, and people were able to dismiss it because they're like, "Oh, that's crazy talk. That's conspiracy theory." Right. right? And then once Snowden's stuff came out, yeah. the very same people who had said, or it seems like anyway to me, maybe I'm painting with too broad a brush, but it seemed like the very same people who were saying that's all conspiracy stuff, there's not enough evidence. Then when Snowden's evidence just made it completely uncontroversial, right. like this happened, like you can't brush it aside. They say, oh yeah, big whoop, we already knew that. You know, like <laughs> oh, yeah, why are you so surprised? Right. Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised the government is spying on us? Of course the government is spying on us. Right. It's like, but, but, but you just the other week said there wasn't enough evidence and I'm being some kind of tinfoil hat conspiracy yeah, It's theory. almost like they've, take, they've taken a position of, of <laughs> non-outrage. So they'll either dismiss it or be like, yeah, I already knew that. So it's kind of, it's it's not so much, uh, it's not everybody, but it's, to me it feels like Hillary, really diehard or very true believer Hillary fans. Um, and I, and I will say, say that I'm yeah. not. I am not. Okay. I think there's a you lot of... You don't really of, strike me, yeah. I would, there's a lot of questionable... Uh, things about the way about the way her career has gone the way it is now and if you're on a desert island who would you choose yeah so yeah i mean that's how probably most america feels it's just sort of i would have liked her campaign to be destroyed (laughs) right you were probably bernie sanders supporters right i was in i was into bernie yeah Yeah. so uh, there should be a little bit of interest in that direction i think um because you had people who were saying as part of hillary's campaign um like Oh, this stuff about Hillary being anti-environment or being um, in favor of fracking or being really friendly to energy companies and stuff like that, right? Oh, that's all conspiracy stuff, you know? Like, look at what she's saying now. Like, believe what she says, right? Why do you have this reason? Why are you all, like, doubtful of her motives and of her interests, you know? Like, it's like, well, because we have some pretty suggestive evidence, Right. And then now, right now that this other stuff is coming out about like Catholics have suspected that she hated them. Well, now it's pretty clear that that her campaign was bagging on Catholics in private emails, you know, like <laughs> stuff like that. Right. Like it's the stuff you always suspected and you pretty sure you knew. Right. But you didn't have like black and white evidence. And so now there's a very same people who were like, oh, that's just conspiracy theory are now saying, well, yeah. that's just politics. What did you expect? Right. You know, like. But it's two-faced, and that's what I'm saying is that, yeah. And that's what I run into a lot is that I will say things. People go, Nate, you're just a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, well, no, there's good information here. It's good stuff here. Let's have a conversation about it. No, I can't have a conversation about that. What makes me really angry about that is that um, Clinton has been able to get away with uh, basically covering up the possible evidence. But Russia, Russia wasn't able to, or whoever, wasn't able to hack the deleted emails before they were gone, you know? So essentially there well, could maybe, have been... maybe they were. Oh. Maybe they're so damaging that Russia doesn't want to give them to WikiLeaks. I mean, I, not, this is all speculation, right. right? I don't even know that Russia was the ones that gave the emails to WikiLeaks in the first place. Right. But all I can tell you is that as of now, those the full, the full things haven't come out, and I don't know if they ever will. Um, but I can tell you that it looks pretty suspicious that Clinton herself says, here's, here you go, government, and, you know, 
official bodies. Here's here's everything, right? And then we find out it's not check. It's not really. It's everything. so funny because I saw I saw an episode of Veep. I think it was like in season two or something when they they I don't know if they subpoena or Congress requested or something requested all her all of the the VP's files, and then they brought them into the room and then they like their her team just cl- cleaned through them <laughs> to like make sure that, that nothing was nothing incriminating was seen and i imagine that happens a lot more than and i'm not excusing it but i imagine it happens a lot more than just um just in hillary's case i'm sure a lot of people clean and scrub their oh for sure yeah i I, here's one thing that is nice about wikileaks um for all of its faults is that you can actually go directly to wikileaks and read the actual stuff i mean and here we're not burdened by the fact that it might be in you know japanese or german or something right it's going to be in english right so um you can go see the original documents and you can cut out the middleman um if you want to everyone is too intellectually lazy to do that michael well that's one of the things (laughs) and the other thing is yeah yeah lazy but other people just other i mean the three of us maybe are just lazy but other people plain just don't have time Right. Like they really, truly yeah. do not have time to kind of do it or they just don't have the skills or the background knowledge. So you would hope that journalists would be really curious and rather than just dismissing it out of hand or setting it to the side because it's politically inconvenient for my favorite candidate, right, that you would do your, you know, your duty as a journalist, whether that's morally or morally or like employer kind of focused. It's just so much. It's the same thing with the music business. There's so much music out there. How do you even get out now? And if you're a journalist and you want to put out good journalism, how do you even sort through it? How do you even get your story out there? Who? So yeah, so, this is this is Snowden yeah. versus WikiLeaks right here. Right. Is that Snow, so Snowden? He picked journalists who he thought would do a really good, honest job with the stuff, and only put forward the stuff that they thought was really important for everybody to know and really sink in and get to know this stuff really well, like pour over it, become experts at it, and then write like a very high quality article that's not just clickbait. Right. Right. Okay, so that was a song that was that was uh, Snowden's method. Right. Pick out the best journalists possible have those journalists do their jobs and do it really well. What you're saying is there is a there is a history that Snowden behaves like a moral person. He's a person who would deserve a pardon because he's behaving ethically and morally. He's trying to do the right thing, right? Is that is that that's kind of what I feel like the overall Well, I don't want to dump on Assange too much because I think he still has a point. Okay, so I mean going back to Matt, sure. it's like okay, so so even if there was an attempted conspiracy on the part of democratic party aligned media people, Right. The fact that everybody, anybody and everybody who has an Internet connection can go find the actual emails that are put up there by WikiLeaks means that you can have a market of information. By the way, there are there are critiques of Snowden that he should have done more WikiLeaks style. Right. That like Glenn Greenwald and some of these other people that he gave the the information to are holding out on us. right? Right. The CIA got got to them. And. The CIA is very powerful, especially where Glenn Greenwald lives in uh, Rio de Janeiro, um, Brazil. It's not really all that far-fetched to think that that could have happened. Right. Um, I don't have any proof that it did, in fact, happen. I have bits and pieces of little things that might suggest it. What do you mean? That they went in and destroyed the information he had? Or... Or came into his house, or well, one of the things they did, in fact, do is so he's gay, he's got a boyfriend. He sent his boyfriend with a piece pieces of information to England to share it or swap it with one of the other journalists who got the files from Snowden. Right. Um, 
mm. a lady named Laura Poitras. And while he was there, he was detained and held, like, held and interrogated by the UK government mm. and not allowed to leave. Um, all his stuff was taken from him. He was completely thoroughly searched, you know. Um, certain things that he brought with him, he didn't ever get back, and he still hasn't got, you know I mean? So what's sad is that the whole point of journalism they shouldn't call it journalism they should call it whistleblowing right that's what journalism is well part of it but but a big part of it almost all of it you know like yeah. you watch that movie good night and good luck like journalists have this really tough job they have to go out sometimes one or two or three people and expose these big stories and, and sure. bring to light this stuff Oh, but yeah. Our generation, almost for me, I, I've I've forgotten how hard of a job that is. Anchorman our, stuff. Our generation yeah. is, yeah, sort of just doesn't realize like, oh no, a true journalist that their job is like ninety percent whistleblowing. You know, I don't know if it, I don't know if I would go with ninety percent. But here's one of the things: is that this kind of journalism doesn't make a whole lot of money, right? I mean, if and you guys know this as former music people, right? How do you get how do you get your cash, right? How do you make a living, right? So what what generates the clicks towards your media? We're still trying to figure content? that out. I know. Well, okay, yeah, you guys, if you had really figured it out, you probably wouldn't have time to do this podcast. <laughs> Whistleblowing tends to be a money loser the vast majority of the time. But mm, um, well, for, yeah, yeah. So they kind of think it's like their responsibility as a newspaper, as a magazine, to do this. But they only put like five people out of, you know, an organization that has thousands on this pro kind of project. Um, and, you know, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's so funny because this just reminds me of the meme that went around uh, Facebook a couple of years ago where it had a picture of Snowden and a picture of Zuckerberg. And maybe we could wrap up here because I'm sure we could talk about this all day long. But, uh, like, it, it was like a picture of Snowden. It says, I give private information about corporations to you for free. I'm a criminal. And then Zuckerberg, I give private personal information to corporations, and I'm Times Man of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like... You got to go the correct... You know, you got to go the capitalistic way. <laughs> it seems the theme... I like, I like themes. I like big picture stuff. Is that society... Uh, sort of don't like whistleblowers. The news doesn't generate income. Um, the person who does the whistleblowing gets chastised, killed, uh, beaten, thrown in jail. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It just seems like this whole sphere, people don't want to talk about it, they don't want to read about it, and they don't want to know about it. And that's interesting. But not Michael, not you. Yeah, it's a, it's a, well, okay. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I feel that pull even within myself. I mean, there's only so much bad information, you know, bad news that I can take before I want to watch like cat videos, you know, like mm. it, everybody has this capacity to pay attention to some things and not everything. Um, and like I even said, I, I've, I've faded away from following every single thing that ever happened with Snowden or Glenn, that Glenn Greenwald wrote. I was right. really into it for a while, but yeah, I just can't keep up with it. Um, but I, nevertheless, I do want per protections, you know, legally, morally, just like in societal consciousness for whistleblowers, because I think what they do is already really crappy. We should not make it any worse and we should try and make it better for them. Well, Michael, uh, Michael Cousineau, we really appreciate your, uh, your input and your, your sharing, uh, of the information and helping us understand what whistleblowing is and what the good kind and the bad kind is. And we appreciate you uh, sharing yeah. with us and being, being with us on the show, man. Oh yeah. You guys are welcome. Anytime you want to have me, uh, I'm happy to share my opinions uh, about stuff. Even if I don't really know what I'm talking about. Well, you know so. a lot more about what <laughs> no, you're no, talking it was about great. than we do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Where can, uh, if people have something interesting to tweet at you, what's your, I don't know if you want to give out your Twitter handle on this unsecure podcast. But. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at namescornelius.com. Sorry, not .com, but at namescornelius. Twitter.com cool, cool. slash yeah. namescornelius. <laughs> right, exactly. Namescornelius. Yeah. Dude, I appreciate it, man. You had a yeah. Tweet at tweet at at names Cornelius if you have any questions about what, anything we've talked about. As always, you can uh, you can email us at don't email the trolls at gmail.com. 
or fill out a contact form at trollspodcast.com. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time. All right. Later. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks, man. Sweet. All right. That'll work. <laughs>